I think you have a, a wonderful conversion story. I think all of them are wonderful in some way or another. And obviously I know yours, but there, there are parts that I don't know. Let's, let's get into it. Let's see what we can... Unravel. Not even unravel. <laughs> um, but let's, let's just be real about it, you know? Okay. Let's talk about it. So, you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am. Which is an organization that believes that a young boy named Joseph Smith restored the, quote, true gospel of Jesus Christ to the earth, brought back prophets, apostles, more scripture, opened the heavens again. Um, the God that we knew in the Old and New Testament was brought back. And um, the Dark Ages, quote, were over and ushered in a new era called the Restoration. And you know, that's a big, bold claim because at the center of it, you know, came a new scripture called the Book of Mormon, which is pretty wild. This boy found these golden plates in the hills, just happened to be near his house, <laughs> and an angel tutored him on how to become a prophet. And, uh, be worthy to receive these plates, which took him a couple of years. All pretty wild stuff, you know? I think for a lot of um, mainstream spiritualists or Christians that some of these claims might be a little too heavy for them. I think a lot of us want that spirituality without other people maybe thinking we're crazy, we believe something really weird. Yeah. And um, we come out with a pretty, pretty bold claim. So... At some point, you didn't know any of this. Yeah. And it was all news to you. So, let's let's go back to your childhood. Let's Freud this up. <laughs> um, you were Catholic. Yeah, I grew up Do you know the Catholic. specific sect? Or... Roman Catholic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, my dad came from Italy, and obviously Catholicism is very big there. That's where the Vatican is. Um, and my mom's family is deeply Catholic as well. When you say deeply Catholic, yeah, I was just mean? gonna, I was just gonna explain that. Like, um, my great uncle, so my papa's brother, went into the priesthood and was a priest and went on and became a monsignor in the Catholic Church over in Scotland, which I guess is like equivalent to. Don't you think they should start as a mon junior? <laughs> I mean, he must have been really good to go straight to Monsignor. You know what? He actually was, and I've I've learned about him over the past couple of years and what he did um, in his ministry and his time, I guess. I don't really know how you phrase it. Um, and he f started this organization that has a really special place in my heart. We might get to that later. Um and like my my uncle went to become a priest as well and so he didn't um continue with it he ended up getting married but it's something that on both sides of my family it was like this very heavy tradition and so yeah we grew up catholic um i remember going to church sometimes as a kid never really as a family go for like school events yeah you know, Christmas pageants or whatever it may be. Um, but my mom and I used to go to church often, I feel like. 
I mean, maybe not every Sunday, but once or twice a month, maybe. Yeah. If that, it, it felt more That's common. pretty good. Um, and I loved it. I liked going to church. I liked flipping through the hymn books. And I, you know, in the Catholic church, at least the parish that I attended, they would have all the children go up halfway through and then like they would go off to like Sunday school classes but I never went because I just liked to be there with the adults and I liked the tradition and I liked knowing all the rituals and like hand actions and knowing what to say um I loved I was very much like Sienna I find you know when Sienna gets like really into something and she's like yeah. very proper about it that's how I was as a kid <laughs> and it's it's funny thinking back to that now I've never really made that connection before but I remember like I would get to wear lipstick in order to go to church because it was like you dress up that's cute so I like wearing lipstick and you know I've noticed one thing about Sienna sometimes is when she's really feeling like uh, spiritual, spiritual yeah. or whatever like she'll say her own private prayers which is not something kids often do yeah you know but <laughs> i remember like after church i had made her like a grilled cheese but i was still making everyone else stuff and she was saying her own little prayer do you feel like you were that kind of kid where you took initiative actually yeah i mean i have that little sheet of paper and i've shared it before on my social media of these three things that i wrote i can't remember what they were i should find that piece of paper um, but it was like love God, love yeah. and honor yourself, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what it's the weird how is. similar you and Sienna are. It really is, and now that like we're talking about it, I'm I'm figuring that out. Um, yeah, it was always there, and I would always pray at night and like wonder and yeah, you know, consider. So you liked going to church? I did. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. When did you stop liking going to church, or did that ever happen? Um, you also went to the Catholic school. I went to Catholic school. So you're pretty you're, like. You're in it. You had a lot of Catholic stuff going on. Yeah, but like the thing with the Catholic, at least the way we were brought up in it, it wasn't ever like, like I said, we would only go sometimes, and it was yeah. more out of tradition. I was going to ask, like, like what Catholicism was like at home for you. Oh. Mm, nothing. Did you guys ever talk about it? I remember if I had a bad dream, my dad would tell me to do the sign of the cross three times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, he always wore a crucifix around his neck, and I remember, like, I always liked that. Um, We'd have, like, some images of, like, Jesus up, but it was never, like, it wasn't like how our house is. Yeah. Where we pray before meals, and... We pray at night together. Um, my mom and I would say a prayer every night. Oh, I remember if I can... I wonder if I can remember it, but it would be like a repetitive prayer. But it wasn't like an Our Father or our Hail Mary, which we also had to do in school, like when you had to do the rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your life, like what like rules of the church did you need to abide by in your everyday life like for you personally um do you remember having any i mean the 10 commandments but you know lying and stealing and cheating yeah <laughs> are part of that and i definitely grew up <laughs> doing all of those um 
you know, and, like, having sex before marriage, but, like, that wasn't, like, strictly enforced in my house. My parents never really, like, enforced these rules. It was very much like, like I said, it was just tradition. You know, like, maybe, obviously you're someone who did start to think these things, but not for a while, right? Like, what changed for you where you did start to kind of wonder more about God or or care less about God? So I'll go back to when you asked, like, when did I start to lose that? I think it happened when I was about 12 or 13 and my parents split up. It just felt, you know, you're a teen, you're coming of age and becoming a teen. Coming of age. <laughs> You're it's scary for all a teenager. Of, it's scary for all of us, Joy. Um, You know, I had to switch schools in grade seven, and that was, like, really traumatizing for me. Why are you laughing? Uh, I just find it funny. As someone who had to change schools a lot. But mm-hmm. it is dramatic, especially it, it if you is. don't do it a lot. Obviously, when you do it more, you get to sense that. Yeah, too, I so. grew up in the same house my entire yeah. life, and suddenly that household and that family was falling apart and yeah I had to leave all of my friends and people that I had known my entire life and go to this whole new school this move was sort of a catalyst to thinking more or less yeah and I just had like a new group of friends that I was trying to fit in with and they were very mature and so you know it was cool to like smoke a cigarette I mean, it still is. But. And drink a cooler with 0.05% alcohol, you know? <laughs> so I think that's kind of when things shifted and I pushed God away because it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It felt gradual or more? It was definitely gradual. Like, I would still have moments where I would pray at night and... Like, did, was your family still going to church at this point? No. And when like did I said, they, they never really... St- kept going to church i think when my sisters got out of um high school or sorry when they finished grade school yeah my one sister went to the catholic high school and my other went to the public high school and so like it was just sort of we were in the catholic religion because it was part of like the culture yeah you go to this new school you start to try and fit in you're kind of God's not a huge part of your family life. Yeah. Uh, it's also not convenient for your new social life. And so when do you feel like you started to care again or even, you know, think about it? Well, there was one moment where it like totally ended. Two moments, really. One was in high school and we were asked to do confessions. Um, so when you're in grade three, I believe you so there's different what do you call it i think catechisms or something call them sacraments actually okay um but it's like rituals so you get baptized or sorry you're baptized when you're a baby you receive your first holy communion you go to confession where you're supposed to confess your quote-unquote sins to a person a priest And I remember in high school, I went because you're kind of like forced into it. Like, I don't know, everyone's doing it. So you just do it too. And I went and he asked me a really inappropriate question and it just totally turned me off. 
And what I was, was the like, question? He asked me, do you masturbate? And I was like, no. Did you talk to anyone else about what he asked? No. Do you think he asked a lot of people that? Yeah, probably. <clears throat> and it wasn't the regular priest that we grew up with or that I even like was familiar with. It was like a weird one. Not a, Well, obviously he was weird. I don't mind saying that. I don't even remember which one it was, but it was like someone I wasn't familiar with. Yeah. And so that for me was like, it just made me feel so sick. Yeah. And I was like, this is gross. I don't want anything to do with it. And so that was just like, yep, religion's stupid. Yeah. So but I after always that, believed in God. After that moment, like what changed for you? Oh, I just kept going on living the way that I wanted to live or not even wanted to live, just the way that... I thought I needed to be like, I thought teenagers drank and partied and had sex and whatever, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> you know, like I grew up watching like all these teen shows and yeah. thought that, Oh, that's cool. That's what I need to be doing. Yeah. You know, like the OC and I don't know what else did we watch? What else was around? I don't know. Nine two one zero or something. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur. Arthur. Oh man, I did love the library. Um. Okay. And at any point, at this time, what was your home life like? Well, my parents were separated. So, and my sisters are seven and five years older than me. So, I felt like I was alone a lot. Um, which had its perks, you know, I could do whatever I wanted, watch whatever I wanted. No one was bugging me to do things. I could have people over. Um, but it also got really lonely. Yeah. And it just felt, I don't know, I just felt very lonely. How do you feel like that loneliness affected you? I sought comfort in others, <laughs> um, boys specifically. How do you feel it affected you as a girlfriend? Oh my gosh. I feel like this is getting too personal. <laughs> the whole thing is personal. Anyway, um, no, I'm not trying to dig into any like sexual stuff. I'm talking about. Oh gosh, about, like, no, no, no! I don't mean that. I like, just meant like yeah, I, was, I remember you back in the day telling me that you were pretty wild. I like, was a stage five clinger. Yeah, like I needed very jealous. So even jealous. even up until when I met you. Yes, jealousy was something that I feel like I learned very early on. Um, I. I had this mentality growing up that girls are my competition yeah. that we're competitive with each other that if a boy liked me I had to do everything to make sure that he would never like anyone else and if he ever did like anyone else it was like well now you have to prove to me that I'm so much better than that other person right which is so unhealthy um but I I didn't know any other way you know I didn't even have any like room in my brain to be open to another concept 
That yeah. was just what I was conditioned to believe for so long. So we've got this feeling of loneliness and of jealousy. Insecurity. You've been offended by the church. Um, and yeah, you, you start doing these sort of more, I don't know, quote, hollow things. Yeah. Right? And this continues for how long? Oh, so. Until you're. Until I was about, well, technically, like, until I was 20. Yeah. You felt like things continued to escalate down the wrong path? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. I was drinking. I was seeking solace, I guess, in drugs and alcohol and sex. During any of this time, you know, what thoughts and feelings were you having about God? Any? Uh, Have you ever talked to people about it? No. Like, do you remember having any religious conversations at all, like, you know, from when you were 14 to 20? Um, no, no, it wasn't something that I, the people that I was around, like, they didn't, it didn't even cross their minds, you know? Um, I remember maybe some brief conversations with, like, family members about, like, oh, yeah, there's got to be something more. Or mostly like what happens when you die. Because you, you also had an uncle who was a priest or something. Yeah. There's no exchanges there about God, really? No. Yeah? Okay. Not at all. I mean, I remember thinking like... I remember moments in life where I was like, no, there's got to be a God because like if something like this happened, I know that, okay, like that's what God would have wanted. So I would use it. Like I would use the term God in day to day, but like, <laughs> you know, the Seinfeld episode where George is like, God would never let this happen. And he talks about how, like, he's like, I thought you didn't believe in God. He's like, well, I believe in him for the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And Lisa brings up that point. Like, in her podcast, you know, I think it's rare to find someone who has not been in, like, their deepest, darkest moment or, like, their loved one is dying and they haven't been like, God, like, if you're there, please help. Yeah. Um. So I definitely had moments of it. I mean, like, yeah, there were moments, but it wasn't ever anything, like, that we talked about. Like, my group of friends weren't like, hey, so let's talk about God. You know, yeah. it was like we make fun of people like that. Yeah. So we would have been a pair back in high school. Yeah. You would have hated me. No, I would have converted you 10,000%. <laughs> I have no question in my mind that I would have converted you. Yeah, you probably would easily. have. You would have flirt. You would do the flirt to convert. I was teaching so many people in high school. I would have just been so fire. obsessed with you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh man. Anyway. Yeah. Basically, um I carried on trying to find peace and security, uh yeah. but the way that I was living my life it, it was not doing that. Your life continues on down this pathway without God, getting deeper and deeper into these unhealthy ways of trying to cope with um your family life yeah and at some point there's a shift mm -hmm. so whatever you want to share about you know that 
period of time where things change. Mm-hmm. Um, that you feel would be beneficial for people listening. Yeah. Or that you, you want to share. Should use. Because I, I do want to talk about this. I think that's. Did you ever start feeling guilty at any point during this period? Just guilty for the things you had done or that they were bad? Like considering before? your child, like your your upbringing, obviously you're doing things that in your upbringing you knew were were wrong. Did you ever any have any guilt? No, and that's the thing. Like actually, yes, I would. Like I'd have moments where I'd be like, "Oh, like I hate my life. I don't like how I'm living." And so, like, I would have suicidal thoughts and I had suicidal tendencies, but, like, I never fully acted on it because I always deep down knew, like, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to do this. I know that there has to be some way out. And I always thought that that would come, like, if I could just leave this town, if I could just get out of Grimsby and go to the city, then... That would be the cure-all. And so when I finally was able to move out and I got into university, um, it very quickly... <laughs> um, I really quickly realized, yep, this this wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. I'm still deeply depressed. Um, I haven't thought about like that time in so long. It was probably the darkest time of your life, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when I went to university, it was just like I thought that that would be the cure-all. And I did have fun, and I met some great people. But those feelings just like... Because I had never dealt with them. I never dealt with the trauma that I had experienced. It just like kept piling on. And it was, like, all-consuming. I know that I, I'm supposed to share this story. Like, uh, but it's just, like, it feels... Now that it's at the moment, it feels scary. What advice or wisdom would you give based on that experience before what we're about to get into? I think ultimately it comes down to educating and giving teenagers specifically the knowledge that they need in order to not be faced with the feelings that I felt and the lack of knowledge that I had. Um, I mean, obviously I knew that if you wore a condom, you weren't likely to get pregnant, (laughs) but... You see, you feel so invincible. And I definitely did. I was like, well, that's not going to happen to me. And so for me, obviously, you know, now we believe in abstinence um, before marriage. And I do think that's the best way to do it. <laughs> um, no pun intended. <laughs> um, I do think that's the best way. I really do. I don't think kids are emotionally ready and mature enough to handle sex yes it feels good but um 
Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, I sometimes feel like when people say like practice abstinence, it's a little unfair to certain people because coming to what needs to accompany that abstinence is a healthy life. Right. To have the power to resist these very natural mm-hmm. and normal urges. And if you don't have a healthy life like you had, then, you know, just being like, hey, don't have sex. Like, it's like, well, this oh, is yeah. this is something, it's weird to say this, but like something I need to cope with the life I'm living. Yeah, like, that's how I felt about it. It wasn't something sacred. It wasn't something beautiful. Like, it was just something you did because it felt good and it filled that void and it you know it made me feel confident so obviously talking to my own kids is different because we do have these um morals and beliefs that we want to share with them but you know if they do decide that they want to become sexually active before marriage i think it's our job and duty as parents to teach them you know, how to do that responsibly and safely. So obviously, you know, using proper protection um, for girls and guys, and there's many different things nowadays, um, getting them proper resources that they can go to in order to ask these questions and, you know, not having shame around it all, I think is super important. I mean, in the Catholic school I don't know if it's changed but they do preach abstinence and so my health teacher was like I can't tell you these things but if you ask a question I can answer it it was just very like basic like if you have sex you'll get STDs and die (laughs) (laughs) like in Mean Girls um so I just there's got to be a different way in order for teenagers to really understand the depths of what they're getting into. And I think me sharing my experience might be able to open that door up a little bit. Because I do think this is something that I've wanted to share for so long, but it's scary. Because it's something that people are so viciously opposed and against and... I totally judge you for it. Yeah. So. So the conclusion of what we're talking about there is basically the best way to help people be abstinent is to help them fill their life with good things that they may feel they're lacking and they're seeking that that comfort Mm -hmm. in the wrong places. So moving on. So when I was 18, um, I was obviously sexually active, as we've declared. (laughs) (laughs) I declare sexual activeness. Um, And I ended up getting pregnant. And even though I'm not that old, there really wasn't much information on what I should do, what I could do, what my options were how I go about that. I needed the people surrounding me. I needed their help. And majority of them, actually I would say every single person, urged me to do the same thing, which was to have an abortion. 
So that was something that um, I did end up, end up going through with. Um, and it was the most absolute traumatizing thing I've ever been through. So going through this experience, how was God involved, if at all? Well, in order to share that, I have to share a little bit about the abortion process. Yeah. Um, I was far along in my pregnancy. I was 23 weeks and one day. And there was no place that could perform the procedure near me. And so my parents drove me to Toronto. Um, and it was a three-day process. So we would drive to Toronto in the morning, get caught in traffic on the way home as I'm in agony, and um, do the same thing the next day and the next day. And I remember going for an ultrasound and the doctor being like, I don't think I can do this. And I begged God on that table in front of the doctors to please let me just do this. Like out loud? Yeah. I said, please, please, please just let me get this over with. And so they agreed. And so in this procedure, I won't, I won't share the details of it, but like I said, I had to go for three days in the first two days. Basically, they just had to um, widen my cervix. And that was very painful. And as I was coming out on the third day, so... Oh, sorry, no, the first day. As I was coming out of the clinic, um, my dad met me at the door. Like, you have to go in alone. No one's able to be in there with you. Um... You're completely alone in a room, uh, and they bring in girls who are all having the same procedure, and you're with them, and it's extremely uncomfortable and heartbreaking and awkward. And as I'm coming out of the clinic, my dad was there, and he was like, don't look over there. Just don't look. So naturally, <laughs> I'm going to look. And there was a priest and two women, and they were holding up signs, um, quoting scripture, which said, Thou shalt not kill. And I can't remember what the other one said, but it like totally made me sick. And as we turned the corner, I just started throwing up. And for me, that was like, I hate God because those people to me represented God. Yeah. And so it was just like, I hate it. I hate religion. I hate God. I don't want anything to do with it. That takes me to being in university and, you know, feeling that deep pit of despair and emptiness and just like a broken heart 
and I turned to what I had turned to in the past, which was drugs and alcohol. And that's when my drinking and my drug use sort of exploded. And I was drinking all the time and I was blacking out. Um, and I, you know, started exploring with drugs and I was getting into really dangerous situations and being around really sketchy people. Lisa. <laughs> Do you want a tissue? Why am I snotting? No. No, I'm okay. So rub yourself raw. <laughs> anyway. No, it's okay. Um and I just fell into this really deep depression. Um, I should also mention, like, what I went through was a really big trauma, and I never received help for it in any way. And it was really difficult for me to talk about it because it is such a taboo subject. No one wants to talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, so widely accepted by majority of, you know, people, and yet we don't talk about that. Because it's uncomfortable. And I understand that. And I'm not saying like it should be something you talk about over dinner casually. But I think there needs to be a bigger support for women who have had abortions. Because it's not such a cookie cutter, you know, decision that's made. It wasn't like, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, I don't need birth control. I'm going to have an abortion. Um, it was something that... You know, and I'll, I'll talk about it perhaps on a different podcast, but it was something that deeply affected me and was really, really a hard decision to come to. Um, and, you know, in my experience throughout life, later on after that, there have been moments where I felt so impressed by the Spirit to share my story. And sure enough, every time I have... Not every time, but most of the times um, when it's been with random people, they have their own experience with it as well. And I, I know that there are more women out there who have had abortions who will not talk about it um, because of that fear of being judged as a murderer, as someone who doesn't care about their children, who, um, you know, is just evil or stupid or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, that's not me. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I fell into this deep, deep depression after that, um, experience. Two years had gone by and I was just abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, really trying to deal with that trauma in the only way that I knew how and trying to find hope, trying to find joy. Yeah. And it wasn't working. And I ended up getting extremely sick and I thought I was going to die. Like for real, I was like, holy crap, like this is it. I was laying in bed. I could barely move. And I just felt like, yeah, this is it. This is the end of my life. And I called my mom 
it was like three in the morning and I said, mom, when you get this, you need to come and pick me up. I'm leaving my door unlocked because I thought like, what if I die and my bedroom door is locked and they have to like break down the door. <laughs> and I, I had abandoned God, of course, like I had mentioned and it never even crossed my mind, like God or religion or anything. I was completely done with it. But of course, once I'm laying in that in my bed in that moment of despair and thinking that I'm about to die, I turn to God and I remember my prayer and I just said, God, if you're real and if you exist, if you let me live, I promise I will change my life around and I will do better. And I mean, obviously I didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how much conviction did you have with that prayer? Like, you know, a lot. I was like begging, like I, I felt like that little, like tiny little spark, you know, like there's gotta be something there. You know, it's not fair that I have to die. And so I went home to my house in Grimsby and I got better. And so that was like in December and in January. It was on Crystal Meth Avenue, right? <laughs> that was, oh, yeah, that's where I live, Crystal Burn. Um, in January, I started a new semester at school and I was late for registering for classes. And the only class that I could Cue rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> and the only class that I could take was like, I don't know, like astrophysicism. <laughs> and, or like world religions. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. Dun, dun, dun. I was like, oh, what a breeze world religions will be. Like I took religion all throughout high school. And so I took that class, and it was actually incredibly Well, you didn't bring up the religious thing in high school. Obviously, you were having some sort well, of religious... Well, you have to take religion in high school. Uh, okay. okay. You have All to right. take it, except for grade 12, and then you can take psychology. But you just zoned out during those classes? Of course. Okay. wrote notes to my friends. I <laughs> actually right. used to get kicked out of the religion class a lot. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Oh, no, please don't kick me out. So you liked world religions. Yeah. And what'd you like about it? I just, I thought it was so interesting. I liked. Now at this point, mm -hmm. are you still thinking of like, oh, I got to change my life because I promised God or did you forget about it? After I was sick, I had this like new energy and I was sort of pushing off drinking and partying and I didn't want to do drugs anymore because it was scary. And... Um, you know, being in, being depressed and being in that depression, you don't have energy. You don't have like, like, I just wanted to go to school and then come home and lay in bed and watch movies and TV. Yeah. Which yeah, actually is very important to my conversion story. Yeah. So, you know, I'm learning about all these different religions, the major world religions and where their beliefs come from and the different scripture that they use and all that stuff. And at the same time, I'm watching this show called Big Love. And it was about this family, a modern day family that practiced polygamy. And so I'm watching it and, you know, I'm like, oh, what religion is this? I started watching the show Big Love and I became curious about 
polygamy and like where it fit in, like what religion it, it fit into. And so what did you like about this show? <laughs> I just thought it was so interesting. I mean, they had to keep it secret and just the way like their houses were set up and he had these three different wives and it was just so bizarre to me. Like, what you know as such a jealous person i'm like how does this even exist <laughs> you know how could you share a man with two other women who you know have are quote unquote better at certain things than you you know like right. that was just so foreign to was me. one of them like the ugly one or were they all ugly no they were all really pretty uh but one was, was this more... a fake show or a real show? it was fake. Oh, oh, fake it was fake yeah um but, you know, they lived in Utah and they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they were secretly practicing polygamy. And so I was just like, what is this? And, oh man, every time I tell the story, it's like I can see it like playing out in a movie. I went over to my laptop and I went to Google, www.google.ca. And I typed in polygamy, and the second link was mormon.org. And I was like, huh. So I click on it, um, and it talked about how polygamy used to be practiced in this religion, um, but in the 1800s, it was abolished, and no one, they don't practice it anymore. And I was like, okay, cool. And so <laughs> I'm like, what else do they believe? So I'm reading about Joseph Smith and about Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, I know about, I know him. So at the bottom of the screen, it said, request a free copy of the Book of Mormon. So I requested the free copy. And the next day, this car pulls up in front yeah, of my that's house. Missionaries are like, ding, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I instantly knew and I was like crap what did I get myself into and these two guys come out and they're wearing suits and they're like slowly walking out my driveway and I'm like ugh, like I don't want to have to deal with this and I answer the door and they're like hi is Joelle home and I was like no she's not but I'm her roommate so if you have something for her, like, I can make sure she gets it. And they were like, no, it's okay. We'll call her and figure out a time yeah. to meet with her. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, so, like, do you go to school here? You know, <laughs> she's yeah. trying to um, convert me. And I was just like, no, like, being all, like, rude and stuff. And I felt so bad. Um Anyway, they left, and I was like, crap, I want that book. Like, a free book. That's, like, Henley Fowler knew the way to, like, tailor to me, you know? A free Why book. Why were you really into books at the time? Of course. I've always been into books. Later that day, my phone rings, and it's the missionaries again. And they were like, hey, we met your roommate. <laughs> <laughs> Wink, wink. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> um, you know, is there a time that we can meet with you and we can give you the Book of Mormon and share a little bit? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And they're like, so we're actually located right near you 
if you want to come meet us at the church. And I was like, huh, okay, yeah, I'll come by and pick, pick it up. And so sure enough, I like Google mapped it and it was like right beside my house, which is just so funny to me. Very serendipitous. Yes, it is. So I went to the chapel or the church and they were waiting for me and I was like, oh, okay, these are different guys. <laughs> they won't know that I lied to them. Would you, were you worried that they would be the same guys? Yeah. <laughs> but you still did it anyway? Yeah. I like, well, when they first came to the door, I wasn't wearing makeup or anything and I was like in sweats and a sweater. And then, so this, I like dressed up <laughs> just in case. Yeah. So what made you want to meet with them? Honestly, it was just this book. Like, I just wanted to know about this religion, and I wanted to see what was in this book. You just wanted to get the book. I wanted the free book. Okay. And so I go to the church, and, you know, they invite me in, and we're chatting, and I notice, obviously, like, their name tags. I'm like, Elder is such a weird name. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, they're both named Elder? Like, what are the odds? And... So I'm, we're talking and just like normal, like, oh, you're from, one of them was from Colorado. And I was like, oh, I don't even know where Colorado is. And <laughs> she still doesn't. I No, I do now. <laughs> and then the other one, I can't remember where he was from. I still have their names on the little pass along card they gave me. So after just like chatting and shooting the breeze, they said, you know, here's the copy of the Book of Mormon. Like, any good book, the best place to start is with the introduction. Oh, gosh. Is that, like, so missionary? <laughs> yeah. It's good, though. It's it, good. It's, it's good. And so they put a little... It's true. It's it true. is. They put a little pass-along card, so, like, a picture of Jesus and where the introduction was. And they said, you know, we invite you to go home and read the introduction and then um, do the challenge that's in the book. You know, pray about this and ask God if this book is true. And I was like, okay, cool. So I was like open to it. I wasn't like rolling my eyes at it. At this point, I was like, eh, may may as well. Like, that's kind of cool. And so I went home and I read the introduction a couple of times because I didn't really understand it. Like, obviously, you know, these names and these words are new to me. (laughs) The. (laughs) What is this? And so I read it and then I knelt down beside my bed and I said, God. And as soon as I said that, my heart just started like beating so hard. Yeah. And I couldn't stop smiling. And I just said, is this book true? And this voice inside my head, which was so clear and so loud just said joelle your life is about to change in such a big way so i went to the chapel the next day and i met with the same elders that i had met the previous day and they said that they were going to um have me meet with two new elders who were part of like a different part of the church that worked with uh, people my age. 
Yeah, um, the hotties. The hotties. It's called YSA, Young Single Adults. Yeah. Hey, single. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Did that in just you when they said absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. I was like, oh, I hope there's like cute guys. Yeah. I said hot guys. Um, <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I didn't really understand that I was going to be taking lessons with them. I just knew that I had this experience. I prayed. I did what they said. And I had the experience that they told me I would have. And so. Did you tell them that? Yeah. I did. How did they react? They were like, wow. (laughs) Wow, Joelle, that's incredible. (laughs) I don't know. You know how missionaries normally react. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so I met with them, Elder Christensen and Elder Christiansen, and we went into a room and I just started grilling them. I would love to hear their experience of this story nowadays, um, but I just remember asking them so many questions like, is this a cult? Um, are you going to ask me for money? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... They started talking to me about Joseph Smith. Well, up until the point where you started grilling them, were you like when you were coming into that meeting, mm-hmm. what were your pre-thoughts happening? You know, um, because you're interested, but you're apprehensive, right? So yeah. you were obviously thinking about it and being like, I was thinking like, if they tell me that I need to pay for things, I'm out because I'm poor. <laughs> um, if they start talking bad about other religions, I'm out. Because mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, if they ask me if I've masturbated, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if they start getting like weird and perverse, I'm out. If they start um, talking bad about homosexuality, like I'm out. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear any sort of nonsense like that, you know? <laughs> um so I remember having these thoughts as I'm walking to the church, like, okay, Joelle, like, you need to be like, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested, and leave. Or, like, pretend that you're interested and then move <laughs> so that they can <laughs> never find you again. That's more my style. Um, anyway, so they started talking to me about Joseph Smith and sharing his story. And I remember one of them being like, you know, Joelle, your story reminds me so much of Joseph Smith's story. He was this 14-year-old boy who had questions, and he went and prayed, and he had, like, a very similar experience. And I was like, so are you guys saying that, like, I'm the next prophet? (laughs) (laughs) Did you say that? Yeah. I was like, you're making me feel so special. Um, Were you joking? No. I was (laughs) like, I was like, holy crap. Like, this man who, like, found this amazing thing had the same experience that I did. Like, am I unique in this way? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was so like, whoa, (laughs) this is amazing. Yeah. Um, And then they shared with me the story of the first vision, um, which is basically retelling the story of when Joseph Smith saw God and Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, he wasn't looking to start a new religion. He just wanted to know which one to join because he was meeting with Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and all these different, uh, 
he would go to all these different churches because he wanted to know which one he was supposed to join. But he was confused because they all contradicted each other. And he had read in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So he had, I believe, never prayed out loud before in his life, which is strange, I find. Um, anyway, he decided one day he was going to go to a grove. He had kind of picked out a spot and he went into the forest and he prayed and um, he a light from heaven opened up above him and he saw Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and he was scared and he wasn't sure what was going on. And Heavenly Father pointed to Jesus Christ and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And Jesus Christ said that he should join none of the churches, that they draw near unto me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Meaning they talk a big game, but they don't. They aren't living the true gospel, um, and they don't have it. And uh, he, they told him some other things, and that, you know, he would be called upon to do more things. Or I don't even think they talk, told him at that time that he would be a prophet or anything. It's just like, don't join any of them. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. So he, he didn't, and he, um was kind of confused, I guess. And he told his dad what had happened because he passed out when he was trying to do farm work because he was so exhausted from the experience. And his dad, who was a wonderful man and who had, who himself had a vision earlier in his life that his, something was going to happen with his family. Anyway, later on, Joseph Smith is visited by an angel, which gives some further instruction of what needs to happen. And this goes on for years. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like uh, a quick thing. Yeah, he was a 14 years old translating the Book of Mormon. Yes. That's when it, it just kind of started. Yeah. And it took many years to prepare him um, to become the prophet. But, yeah. Sorry. That's overload. No, no. I missionary like it. moment. I know. <laughs> this was a missionary moment with Elder Gibson. Um. <laughs> The wonderful thing, like the missionaries brought up to you about the Joseph Smith story, is that it's actually very simple. We can ask a question. We don't need any religious leader or anyone to interpret anything for us. We can go straight to the source, and we can find out for ourselves. First-hand experience is more powerful than any anything else. That's why we need to have our own experience with God to know the truth instead of having to rely on somebody else or some book. You know, yeah. the Bible is not the the thing that ultimately converts you. It's it's also not walking with Jesus, as we see in the Bible. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Like, who are people saying that I am? And Simon Peter, Simon Peter says, thou art the Christ. And... He says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but our Father who art in heaven. Meaning yeah. the Holy Spirit. Meaning it wasn't, you know, hanging around with me doing miracles and seeing these cool things. It was the Spirit. You've had this intimate spiritual witness, which Joel had, mm -hmm. which no one can take away from you. That's the yeah. that's the important part of it, is it's it's your private. You also can't give it to anyone. 
you can share your things. They can feel the spirit from it. But ultimately, we're all on our own path and journey that mm-hmm. they all converge at one point. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Those moments, I love talking about them because they do fill my heart with so much joy. Um, you know, the first time I prayed, asking if the Book of Mormon was true, and then I think the second time was after the missionaries shared the story of the first vision um, with of Joseph Smith. And I just remember my heart feeling like it was on fire. And they asked me, you know, how do you feel after hearing that story? And I said, have you ever been in love? Yeah. And that's how it felt to me. It was just like, you know, when you fall in love for the first time and it's just like euphoric. That's how I felt when they told me about the first vision. And after that, they asked me, would you be... Would you want to be baptized on March 7th? This is your first lesson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, buddy. You ain't going to get me that easy. Um, and they said, well, would you be willing to, would, would you be willing to come to church with us tomorrow? Um, and I said, sure. Thinking that I just have to walk, um, you know, up the road. And they said, well, we want you to attend the YSA branch in Etobicoke. And I said, okay, like, give me the directions and I'll I'll do my best. Did you bus there? I bussed and subwayed and bussed. And it's so interesting because where the chapel is in Etobicoke, you have to pass by so many different churches and so you pass a Baptist, a Presbyterian, Anglican, Catholic. And I remember the bus ride to the church being like, this is so weird. Like, I'm passing by all of these different churches, going to this one that, like, no one in my family knows anything about. I've never, like, heard about this religion. Like, and I, I'm just taking a chance on it. But something, you know, I remember being like, should I just not go? But I was too excited. I was like, no, I want to go. I want to see what this is. Because I had had these feelings, you know, of happiness, which were so few and far between in my life at that point. We sit down and this one girl came. um, She was so sweet. Her name's Nicole. And she was like, oh, you can come sit with me. Like, and so we're like in the third row. This brown haired girl? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's so nice. And so it was fast and testimony meeting. Now, if you've never attended the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on the first Sunday of every month, Stephen, you explain what fast and testimony meeting is. Why do you want me to explain it? You're just better at it. No, I don't think that's true. Anyway, people aren't. It's kind of an open forum. Anyone can get up and share their testimony of the things they believe are true about the church. And obviously, because it's open forum, it invites uh, people who just want to say whatever they want to say for as long as they want to say it. <laughs> it can go a little cray-cray. It can get a little crazy, but it can also be completely amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's always a few crazies and a few normals sprinkled yeah. in there. Yeah. So this was unlike anything I had ever 
been a part of or witnessed ever in my life. Yeah. You know, just (laughs) as a, as a missionary, as a former missionary, fast and testimony was always the most nerve wracking because you had no idea what the congregation would say, like what to expect. And you're just like, okay, just preparing for like damage control after like this person said this, but that's like not Yes, exactly. You're like making notes. Like (laughs) I got to clarify that. So my missionaries were sitting at the back by the door and I was sitting up front with this really nice girl and everyone was so nice yeah. <laughs> and friendly. Um, they usually always are. They usually are, yeah. And so I'm sitting there and people are getting up and like bearing their testimony and people are crying and being like, I know this is true. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? Side note, I'm now one of those people. <laughs> and... It's just, it was so awkward, like coming from a very strict, quiet, rich with ritual, you know, Sundays at a Catholic church, going to like people getting up and being like, hey, you know. Sorry. (laughs) I remember someone like saying that their pet died and I was like, oh, that's sad. Like, this is weird. And I remember being like, oh, this is a mistake. I need to get out of here. Like, this is just so uncomfortable. I don't like it. I have so much secondhand embarrassment. And I, like, looked back just to see, like, where my exits were. And my missionaries were, like, staring right at me, like, smiling and giving thumbs up. And I was like, yeah. And so I realized that I couldn't leave. And then... On my left, out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy. And I was like, whoa, he is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets up. Don't hold back, Joelle. Just give us every detail you got. (laughs) He had glasses on and he had this suit on and his pants are like tight. (laughs) He's a really nice bum. (laughs) Is that something you actually noticed? Oh, yeah. Okay. And he got up and he said, hi, my name is Stephen Gibson, and I just got back from my mission in California, and I don't remember really what else he said. Basically, you also said, like, you're not even wearing your own clothes. Oh, yeah. And... In my, like, yeah, not my own shoes. It was, like, a scene from a movie where, like, the person's speaking, but it's, like... Dream <laughs> And it was like, I was like, you know, hearts for anime eyes. And I was just like staring at you. And I had the thought, I am going to make this guy fall in love with me. And it was like, okay. And like everything you said, if you guys haven't realized, I'm talking about my husband, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Gibson. Everything you said just was so nice. And it was, it just made me feel comfortable. And I was like, okay, they're normal people here and hot people too. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll stick around. Steven's good at the public speaking. You are. And so that ended and I went to another meeting, which was called um, Relief Society. I don't remember going to Sunday school that, that day. I probably didn't. I probably sat and talked with people. Yeah. So we went Very to true. Relief Society, and it was just all these women who were around my age, 
supporting one another and they were so friendly and nice to each other and you know sharing about good things that have happened and talking about God and how they can you know implement these teachings or whatever they're learning into their lives so that they can be better and I was like this is cool I I want this and once again everyone was so nice and normal you know, the more I got to talk to them and, you know, I was making friends. I remember Emily, um, Emily Fuller was one of the people that I first talked to and she was so nice and friendly and the missionaries were waiting for me outside of the classroom and we were, you know, getting ready to say goodbye. And I just said, so when was that baptismal date again? <laughs> and they were like, March 7th. And I was like, yeah, okay, I think I'll be baptized then. And they were like, okay. (laughs) I would have died as a missionary. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about that for a second because that is just so funny now being a member of the church and realizing, like, how probably awesome that was. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's like Joelle's story is like, it's not one in a million. It happens more often than you would think, but it is... They're called golden investigators where they just are, they're just been prepared by the Lord and they're ready to hear what you have to say and everything clicks with them. And they're just like, yeah, like, let's go. I had a few on my mission and it was a delightful experience. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, it's so just as a missionary, because you work so hard. Obviously, talking about religion is not an easy thing to do nowadays, and yeah. it hasn't ever really been, except for in the 1800s or something. Well, even then it wasn't, because, like, look at Joseph Smith's story. <laughs> right. And so you spend, like, just all day trying to get anyone to listen to you. Um, yeah. And then when you meet someone that, like, the Lord's prepared, and they're just, you just click with them, and they click with the gospel, it's just so, it's so wonderful. Yeah. I remember after church that day on the ride home, just feeling so excited. And I remember feeling this new light sort of inside of me. The light of Christ. Yeah. And I would sit different. You know, I was more like, okay, like I was starting to feel a little bit more like myself, like the old Joelle, you know, like how I felt when I was young. Yeah. And... I started reading the Book of Mormon. And I finished, actually, the Book of Mormon um, by the time I was baptized. Wow. And that's awesome. I'm a reader. Yes. So, <laughs> did I understand it? No. <laughs> um, Were there parts that you remember sticking out to you? Or was it just old gibberish? Um... It was mostly gibberish. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly gibberish. But from then on, I met with the missionaries often. Um, I can't remember how often. I mean, I'm sure they would know. And they would just teach me things. Teach me about the church. We talked about your childhood and how your experiences led you to some dark moments in your life, which ultimately broke you down enough that you were willing to change yeah and work on that and then just (laughs) you know the lord when you were ready provided 
the pathway to happiness for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think one of the, as I was meeting with the missionaries and they were teaching me, um, you know, when they got to like the word of wisdom and so like abstaining from drugs and alcohol and coffee and tea, I was already ready for that. Yeah. I remember a cool conversation with my elders and, um, I can't remember if they asked me, like, what do you think it was about the gospel or what we taught you that you really needed when you first started investigating the church? And I was like, oh, the word of wisdom, you know, because I wanted to stop drinking. And, you know, that kind of gave me a reason to. And it's really blessed my life. I like not, you know, I like being conscious. Mm -hmm. And my one missionary... Um, was like, I don't think that's what it was for you. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, what was it then? He was like, it was the atonement. The atonement of Jesus Christ. That's what you needed. And I was like, huh. Like, I had never told them about, like, having an abortion and, like, what that did to me. Yeah. And that trauma. But I feel like, you know... He was really close to me and he was very like mindful and prayerful about my conversion. Um, You know, like his mom would write me letters and stuff and it was just so wonderful. And so for him to say that, it was like, ooh, like it it shot right to my heart because I was like, he's so right. And so I think that Yes, everything in my life led me to where I was, but if I had not gone through that trauma of having an abortion, you know, I don't think, I I don't know that I would have found or sought solace. No, what am I saying? Well, in my experience being your husband for 10 years is that you absolutely would have, just would have taken longer. Yeah. Because it's part of who you are. And... All of us, most of us, are going to find it. It's just how quickly we get there. Yeah. And it's not a race. No. Anyway, it it, it brought me so much peace. And, you know, I'm so glad that I found the church when I did because I needed it. And I just, I love it. Yeah. When you're being taught, what were some of the teachings you just talked about the atonement mm-hmm. that really stood out to you as they were teaching you that that were, were any of them like, did any of them wow you or any like really special to you or just, um, you know, when we got to the tithing, because that was like when money was talked about and donating money, that was like so foreign to me, even though as a member of the Catholic church, your the commandment to pay tithing is still there. Yeah. But it was such a different thing. You know, tithing in our church is very personal. And, you know, yeah, it's meant to be done in private. It's 10% of your income. Yeah. So if you only have $5, you would only pay, what, five cents, 50 cents or something? (laughs) Math. Anyway, if you don't have anything, you don't pay. If you have $100, you give 10. That's how I always go to hundreds. Um, 
But in the Catholic Church, I remember growing up and like they'd pass the basket around. And it was like, I remember being like, oh, that's so awkward. Like, oh, I feel bad for those people because they didn't put anything in, you know? Like, yeah. It's very uncomfortable. And I remember sometimes my mom and I would go on a whim, like, let's go to church. And so she wouldn't have like the money ready. So she would just like put coins in, you know, like I think very you know, secretly. An integral part of that. And this is probably some criticism of the Catholic Church is that because the priests are directly paid by your donations, right? That yeah. they do want to promote people giving as much as possible, as yeah. often as possible. And obviously, our clergy are not paid and yeah. they don't really, it's not a personal investment for them if you pay or don't pay or anything like that. Yeah. So I loved that lesson because it really taught me what tithing was and why it was necessary um, and where that money went because that was so important for me to know. You know, obviously, yes, it's not going into the pockets of, you know, they don't get paid if I'm baptized or not, the missionaries themselves. Um, You know, the clergy aren't paid, the teachers aren't paid. And obviously now as a member, you know, I've had different leadership roles in the church. Like I am not paid. (laughs) I promise you. Um, and, uh, it's just you know, sometimes tithing can feel, I guess, I, I don't know why I just want to share this about it, but it can feel ambiguous. Like you're just, you know, giving money to the church yeah. and we don't always get to see where it goes because, and I do think that should be private because we don't need to expose who's poor and who's not. Well, right. Because that's where tithing, a part of the tithing goes. Right. Which is what I'm going to say is growing up poor, I did receive a lot of tithing money and fast offering money and the church (laughs) allowed my mom you know gave us the relief that we needed so she could go back to school and you know ultimately it was money that people donated that paid for my mission normally you had to pay you know it's like twelve thousand dollars or something i'm sure it's more now yeah i i didn't pay any of that if you if you you're encouraged to pay if you can pay obviously but i couldn't and so you know, from my own personal experience, I know where it goes and how, I mean, they tell you where it goes, but uh, in a vague sense, but having personally experienced it, it's, it's great. Yeah. So I remember that lesson on tithing. I remember the word of wisdom. Um, you know, the coffee part was confusing to me, but I kind of understood it because I had learned in school, like caffeine is a drug and I know that it's not the caffeine, Um, but it also, it was hard for me because I was so reliant on coffee. (laughs) I was obsessed. So I could kind of see, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, this is an addiction that I have. And I probably shouldn't like have my life and my mood and my day be dependent on this cup of liquid. That's well worded, Joel. Thank you. I like that. So... Yeah, that was tough to give up, but I did. And I did these things so easily. Yeah. It, it was. I was so ready for it. I was so ready for a reason to stop the party. And, you know, this was kind of like my excuse now. Because I felt like if I was like, well, I, I'm doing it for religious reasons, people wouldn't question it. That's <laughs> funny. Which is so funny because that's all people did.
know that God is real. I know that he loves and knows me personally and that he knows you personally and that he loves you. Um, I believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. I believe that he saw God and Jesus Christ and through his faith and through the time and effort and work that he put in, he was able to translate an ancient record um, that testifies of Jesus Christ and of his teachings. And I know that as I have relied on those teachings to help me through life, um, that the promises in them are true, that it will bring you peace and happiness and joy. I believe in Jesus Christ and his atonement. I believe that he died not just for our sins and our shortcomings and our flaws, um, but for everything that we feel in life. He understands and he knows, and I know that he knows my heart. And he's aware of the feelings that I have, the insecurities, the shame and guilt that I still carry with me, that I find it hard to get rid of, but he is so not judging and he is so loving and kind and wants us to be happy. And one of the biggest proofs of that to me is our children. And the fact that even though I did something that, you know, isn't, is heinous in many ways, um, that he still blessed me with two amazing kids. And trust me, that God trusts me to raise these kids is just such a testament to me of his love and that he is not um, unforgiving. And I love this gospel and I love the church and the way it brings people together and the way that it teaches you how to live a better life. A life where you can make mistakes and you can grow and learn from them instead of just sitting and dwelling on them and, you know, having that lead to self-loathing and pity and whatever else. And I'm so grateful for God in leading me to that knowledge and for leading me to you. Mm. And I love you. I think you're amazing, Joelle. I loved talking to you and learning new parts about your story that I didn't know before. We've been married for 10 years. And sometimes it's really easy to just, I don't know, things just going by quickly. But 
It's awesome to remember when we first met, and I wish <laughs> I had paid more attention to you at the time. And <clears throat> I am so grateful that we can believe in the same thing. You know, when we got to go to the temple together and, and to have all these wonderful spiritual experiences that brought us together and keep us together. I, you know, <clears throat> I'm not ashamed to say that I, I need the gospel, mm -hmm. whether it's true or not, the things that it asks us to do you know, have made me have made it so I don't miss out on recognizing the best parts of life. And, you know, we have such a wonderful time with our kids and we have such a wonderful relationship. And that is because of the things that we believe in. I agree. And um, I'm grateful that when you really get into the gospel, that it teaches you to be compassionate you know talking about things like your abortion before i had met you i probably would have had very similar opinions to the people that you had or that were unkind to those things mm -hmm. and i remember when we were dating and you feeling the need to tell me about your life so i knew what i was getting into <laughs> And you were very specific about some things, very vague about others. And I just remember being like kind of floored by it all. I had never, <laughs> I had never come across anyone who had any kind of experiences like that. It was, I, I guess I was pretty sheltered in some respects. And, you know, but... I prayed to know how to respond and if if you were the person I should be dating. And I just remember feeling that God loved you and so should I. And, and it was great. And I do love you. Mm -hmm.